Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night. Uh, it is the 30th of September. This is Series 15, Episode 39. This is our week off. So I just want you to know we are working on our week off. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a, like a midweek supplement version uh, of the show. We are live, uh, just to prove that. 1-1 one, one and 5-4 on penalties. 0-1, 0-0 and 1-0. The football scores at the moment. Up in London, our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Uh, good evening, John. Also not having a week off. Uh, how was Silverstone last weekend? Cold, obviously, because it's Silverstone. <laughs> it's just having to apply blood climate. You've, uh, you sound like you've got a bit of a cold. Funny that. I went to Silverstone. On a packed On a packed programme tonight Shall I get you some tunes Would that help Oh yes Dunes Dunes And say Clash Return to Nottingham Did you prefer the originals Or the Various coloured Different coloured ones I I quite like the black coloured ones Yeah I like those as well Sort of licorice On a packed programme If you have to be a certain age You're probably in the UK for that um, to work for you. On a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to prove that I'm live. Uh, 137.9. Oh, really? Right. In the cricket. Uh, is that the fifth cricket? It is, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Um, Excellent. I'll check out that in a little while. The other cricket um, has been start delayed. Oh, right, okay. Very dark to play cricket. 8.27. Very dark to play cricket. Anyway, uh, on a packed programme tonight, I'll ask you for a third time. Uh, we haven't got all the usual features. We, no, we, we, we're going to go as long as we can tonight. Uh, because, as I say, this should have been our weekend off. We're going to take our weekend off. Uh, no, week Maybe off, sorry. Maybe in two weeks' and, uh, time. Is that when we think it'll be after Petite then? Yeah, that seems like All a good right. place to do it, doesn't it? Okay, uh, you're very quiet to the listener, Tim. It's your cold. It is. Few That's better. T- That's much better. It's also because my microphone is uh, drifting downwards. Nothing worse. Yes. Nothing worse. Um, you get your voice back, it's and I will tell the in. listener um, that we we've <laughs> got Nick Damon. Uh, of course, we, we have don't Nick have Shay Adam though. No. But um, we do have Nick John Damon Morland. stolen one of my headsets, by the way. Oh, has he? Yeah. Right, he took his own and yours. Oh, no, he's left good. his behind. All oh, right, well, that seems reasonable. Uh, no, we have Johnny Morland. Mine were 
sparkling. All oh, right. Shall we tell the listener what's on? Uh, right. Johnny Molem. Um, Johnny Molem, we're going to have on the telephone later on, uh, if technology allows. I mean, all of them are going to be later on. Uh, well, it's just different degrees of laterness. I-, I wanted to ask Johnny about his thoughts about Le Mans and Red River Sport and taking Bonamy Grimes uh, to from not driving at all to Le Mans in, what, four and a half, less than that, years. So that's what we're getting, Jay. Jim or on for later on. We're going to have a bit of Richard Dean as well uh, in a little while and we'll be talking to him uh, also about Le Mans but mainly I have to talk about Le Mans because they won um, so mainly we'll be talking to him about GT racing uh, and some plans from United Autosport to go GT racing. We'll be talking bikes with Nick, have a bit of American news as well and your tweets of course. Shall I do some parish notices? Yes, and before you do that, I'm going to say that I've seen... Because sometimes we do a gallery feature, but I can't be bothered to find the music. Uh, but I've seen re- something really cool here. Go on. Uh, Charlie Robertson, uh, who, as you know, is a racing driver. Yes. Uh, ever since he was a young boy, and more on that later, uh, right. he's been collecting model racing cars. Right. And today he finally added a car that he raced at... Uh, himself uh, to his collection and it's the uh, Janessa LMP1 car oh very good and ever since he's a small boy he's been looking for it well certainly ever since he raced it a season ago Paul Sharp has tweeted at Spec Your Table which is how you get in touch with us to say EFA is for me which is apologies for absence if you're new to this um, he says I'm a rare baseball loving Brit not that rare I love baseball as well and so does Nick Damon uh, I follow the White Sox. Wait a minute, so do I. So that's not rare either. And they're in the postseason for the first time since 2008. And I've, I've got the World Series winning T-shirt from that year and I went to see them. Uh, game 2 versus Auckland starts at 8.10 BST. So first pitch being thrown out in a couple of minutes' time. We'll catch up tomorrow, says Paul. I thought it was a we sparkling... do live updates on the baseball? Yeah, we should. Given it a quick uh, and hello to Tron Valentine. He says, thanks for not calling it Rounders that signed a grateful ex-colonial Yank Rounders is a much more sensible game because oh, it doesn't take days to happen Just got, it, got, it got vicious when I was playing that at school Daniel Summersgill says he's listening live tonight following a pat week end of motorsport which yet again saw several nasty incidents at Silverstone including cars hitting concrete walls bare arm cut barriers and marshal posts not sure. Daniel says how it maintains an F1, uh, FIA Grade 1 licence. Somebody has to um, do the uh, do the track inspections, I suppose. Viz Patel is celebrating International Podcast Day. And thank you, Viz, Viz, for, Viz Patel, excuse me, um, for uh, mentioning us on it. Uh, and on that, uh, Right Turn Lover says, I'm properly celebrating the, to today's International Podcast Day by not tuning in. Uh, actually, I'm spending the evening with me mum, so that's why. RTL, whenever you're listening, thank you very much for your support, and to you, Vitz, as well. Thanks for tweeting us out on a list of very impressive podcasts that you are subscribed to. Dave Alcock says, listening in, lots to talk about. Russian Formula One, interested to hear how much sugar oh, <laughs> RC Racing Nick Damon has been piled Applied, sorry. With, uh, what was on the menu tonight? 
Uh, tonight, ah, it was uh, Ben's chippy tonight. I nipped around to see Terry because he's a, a Peterborough supporter. Oh dear. So obviously I had to nip around. Now, in fairness, was a dodgy I didn't penalty, wear my Sunderland it? shirt. Uh, I don't ask. I haven't seen this. I didn't wear my Sunderland shirt tonight. I've been wearing my training top all day because it's been chilly. But I put a normal jumper on tonight, and I think he appreciated that. Uh, but we decided. Go on. We decided that it's going to be the usual, you know what, fight. Uh, to get promoted this year and we commiserated with each other's mid-season performance which will un- undoubtedly prevail uh, on us later on in the season. There's so, good news you know, for good. Uh, you and Johnny Palm as well. Uh, has our game been postponed? It has, yes. Excellent. Apparently because uh, some of them players were involved in internationals. It's shocking, isn't it? It is. Absolutely shocking. And by the way, dessert was homemade apple and raspberry pie. Uh, That's got sugar in it. Joe Bradley's apples. So... He brought a load down when he came down a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Kevin Payne is listening live tonight. Uh, also hoping that RC Racing's had a lot of sugary food. Scary, isn't it? Uh, hello to, uh, let me see, Josh, a.k.a. Turtle, no AFAs. Wondering what the opinion on NASCAR schedule releases are. Excited to see uh, the Cup cars tackle Road America next year. That will be interesting. They have had the Xfinity Series there, of course. Uh, Kevin Payne, I uh, hope you'll be garnering uh, support for Andy Matt, uh, Blackmore to encourage him to reverse his decision to stop produ- production of the Le Mans Spotters Guide. Uh, well, I think there's about 60 people who uh, need to help him with that decision, and they're the people who uh, provide deliveries for those cars. Indeed, so Jack Gabriel will be getting the podcast. He's been hit. Ooh. Latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. Just carry on. Uh, that's fine. Sorry, I uh, I didn't realise that was coming up. Uh, Jack Gabriel will be on the podcast. He's been painting a 1935 Rolls Royce. It looks fabulous. Ian McCarthy tuned in uh, tonight as well. Uh, hello to Safe Phil uh, and Alexander Orkin. Great lamb curry tonight. Two hours of washing up, which is how he keeps out of the way. David Tubrews, no AFAs. Wine poured, looking forward to the show. Uh, and Serafina, uh, still working. Uh, and we'll be glad for the company. few people retweeting the llama with the machine gun tonight. Interesting. Obviously not holding it. It's on its back. Uh, John Jonathan Main loved our coverage at the weekend. Uh, loved uh, loved everything that we did. Thank you very much. Uh, as did Mike Perrin and Alan Prosser. Uh, and who's just said, damn you, John Joe Shelby, on a light note. Light note. Hello and good evening. Jill's Outy Bridge uh, tuned in for a short while. Bosses are cracking the whip. Highlights later for the drive to Scabados. Oh, OK. Adria Fitzroy tuned in and hoping we're going to do some NASCAR schedule news. We will be. Uh, and Carol Brink. A uh, uh, couple of hours to the Padres baseball playoff. Padres in the baseball playoffs as well, with 16 teams in the uh, MLB playoffs. First time ever. And Stephen Gardner will be taking for the next two weeks because uh, he's very busy. Meantime, uh, Yoda's uncle on this says, please keep RC Racing well away from the blue smarties. Right, let's have some news. Uh, the top story tonight is what? Well, first of all, uh, Oakland are pitching and uh, zero. Okay. Uh, wonderful, wonderful report there from the baseball the, at the at the Auckland A's. Yes. Uh, 
I want to start with a story that we didn't really have time to do in any detail last week. Was this uh, the news that Gerard Yes, is to leave Le Mans Insurance Management? Yeah, it's an interesting one. This isn't it. It came in uh, just before the show yesterday, yesterday, last week, and there was a Q and A that went with the release, but nothing else. Um, and Gerard hasn't been available for comment, uh, which is uh, which is fine. We understand that he's going to go at the end of the season. Mans, so he's probably having a well-earned rest. Well, I, I would think everybody involved uh, there would be doing the same thing. Apart from us. Um, well, yes, because we, we had more racing to do. Race. Yes, of course we do. That's what we do. Um, it's an interesting one, Tim. Uh, I'm I'm loath to say too much about it. There, there is there are a couple of questions I would like answered, which in the fullness of time I'm sure will be. Um, uh, Gerard, what he's been there nine years, nearly ten years. Um, I remember when he came. I remember when the WEC started. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with uh, Gerard and, and we have here on, on Radio Show Limited. Uh, he's got a massive amount of passion, formerly uh, looking after things at Circuit Paul Ricard, of course. And he's got a massive amount of passion for the sport. He's, a, he's got a, a very good switched on business brain. He's navigated the potential minefields of working between the ACO and the FIA, I think incredibly well with the FIA Endurance Commission as well, with a couple of different chairmen to that. Um, and the chairman has changed, of course, for that. So Lindsay Owen Jones originally uh, for that. Um, and I, it's been an odd time, a time of great growth when he started a time of great investment from manufacturers. And then after the withdrawal of, or forced withdrawal by Volkswagen of Audi, and then the understandable for me withdrawal of Porsche because they didn't need to race Audi anymore to keep their lead in the overall victories category at Le Mans. Uh, Then a very tough time. And we've had a couple of transitional years. We are still in transition to the new to the new regulations he can reasonably think that he's put the championship on a an even keel for the future along with Pierre Fion and uh, Scott Atherton and subsequently um, John Doonan as well in terms of the global side of the FIA World Endurance Championship Le Mans IMSA and and motor endurance motor racing um, I think there's still work to be done, and I'm not entirely certain where the replacement will come from, whether it will come from within, um, and and where the candidates might be. Well, let's have a look at some people who might be candidates then. Uh, well, before we do that, who are they going to be working for? Because that's the that is if I if I'm going to be brutally honest, that's the question I need answered. Are LMEM going to continue? to look after ELMS and WEC for ELMS is totally for the ACO and WEC is for the ACO in, a, in association, obviously, with the World Championship Organization, the, the FIA WEC. Does LMEM continue to do that? Does it come directly under ACO? 
does the FIA, WEC come under the FIA in some way, shape or form? Because that may well affect who would do the job, Tim. And we yes. don't know the answer to that, we do don't. we? We uh, don't. So I'm going to start by uh, throwing some names at you. Right, do I just have to say yes or no? Yeah, but you have to say why yes or no. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to start with Cyril Teshvelen. Cyril Teshvelen is the man who uh, has transformed the uh, Asian Le Mans series. And I, and I, I, I say that without fear or favour. And I'll argue anybody who says otherwise. It, it's been a very difficult birth for the Asian Le Mans series. And the ACO originally contracted it out to a... Um, a management company, much as they contracted out the AC, to the, the ELMS and the FAWEC to LMEM. It wasn't LMEM, it was another organisation and it took rather too long for things to get going. They decided to take it back in-house and Cyril has done with his team, and he'd be the first one to say with his team, a fantastic job. Uh, there's still work to do there and I, it, it it, it, my thought would would be, would you want to take Cyril out of the environment he's in at the moment while he's doing such a good job? And who would you replace him with uh, to continue the success? Because I, I don't think, and I think if you ask Cyril the direct question, I don't think Cyril would say that the job is done yet in, in the Asian Le Mans series. But yes, absolutely agree. Has to be a candidate. Has to be a candidate. Uh, second candidate for me, Scott Atherton. Uh, unlikely for me. Uh, he still consults for uh, IMSA in the dealings with the ACO and to a certain extent the FIA WEC. Plus points, yes, he knows the people involved. He's got a great relationship with Pierre Fillon, but retired from or stepped away and took a, a, a less... Uh, onerous job with the uh, a, with the IMSA organisation because he felt he'd done enough and he wanted to spend more time with Nancy, uh, his wife and the family. I'm not sure that taking on the running, albeit of a, a championship that has fewer dates but is spread over a, a greater geographic uh, concern uh, or area and potentially with ELMS as well. Also, having to do deals in many different countries means probably as much, if not more, travelling than he was doing before. So for me, yes, he would be a great candidate. I don't think he'd be interested in doing it. But I can't speak for him. But uh, I'm, I'm, I, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Throw in another one. Uh, well, I'm going to throw in Chase Carey. No. Same. First of all, doesn't know the sport. Has no uh, background in the sport. And... Uh, I'm not sure that he covered himself in glory with what he did uh, for Formula One. It was fine. He was a good starter, but he was never going to be the person who took it on. Uh, He wants to spend more time with his family. Don't think he understands motorsport at all. Certainly not sure he would get the vagaries of multi-class racing on uh, the level that he would need to have. Not even in the frame for me. And if I'm, if, if I'm wrong and we have to work with him, then I'll have to go and apologise to him. But great moustache. That's what I'd say about Chase Carey. Not the man for the job. Nicolas Deschaux. Why do I know that name? 
He's the president of the Fédération Française de Sport Automobile. Thank you. Uh, yes, but he still has that job, doesn't he? He For does, but he's been doing it nearly five years now, so he might mm. fancy a change. Uh, speaks the right language. Um, has had dealings with Gerard Nouveau in the past because um, Gerard was tasked by FFSA uh, to um, bring the Formula One Grand Prix back to France, which Gerard did uh, in his spare time from running the uh, LMAM. Um so probably knows the job very well um and uh being french i would think and speaking french as a native would be an advantage certainly with dealing with the seo and the fia jacques nicolay that's a good call isn't it uh, a step back from his business operations really does know sports car racing of course as the man at the head of Ligier and that whole group has such a passion for the sport. Not sure how he'd get on with the FIA, if I'm honest. Uh, knows PFE on very well, the president of the ACO. Uh, f- probably far too sensible uh, an appointment for it to happen. Uh, they're all the suggestions I've got. Have any come in on Twitter that you can see? Oh, hang on. Let me see. No, not yet. Uh, not yet, but if anybody wants to fire some in, um, I, if I'm of um, uh, Alexander Orton says playing devil's advocate, uh, surely has to be an ex Ferrari executive who's floating around. Benotto, he's not ex yet though, is he? Yeah, exactly. But there's yet. plenty of other ex Ferraris uh, executives. Uh, Ferrari have been uh, heavily involved in the. Uh, endurance commission so putting an ex or former Ferrari person on uh, into the job uh, might suit them very well indeed do you know if I'm honest Tim I don't think there's an obvious replacement because it's it's a very specific job and and as I say all of those you know I stand by what I've said about all of those people. I think a lot of it will depend on who's running the championship, whether it's taken in-house or LMEM continue. There are people within LMEM who our listeners won't know, um, who I've dealt with in the past, who are extremely capable uh, people in the uh, in the areas of logistics and organisation and negotiation. Um, you know, nobody really had heard of Gerard Nouveau until he popped up, unless, you know, you knew him from uh, from Ricard. And he's carved out a particular niche for himself. And, and, I, and I think he's going to be a very, very hard act to follow, follow particularly in the difficult times the, uh, that we are in endurance racing. You are going to need somebody who has the respect and the understanding, the respect from the paddocks and the manufacturers, is strong enough to stand up to the manufacturers and understands what's required from the privateer teams. And I think that's a really tough mix. I do. And uh, no is the answer to the next question. I wouldn't be invested the in the correct. job. Uh, I wasn't going to ask that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, what's the score at uh, Oakland? And it is no. no still. No score. 
Yeah. Also, no score. Uh, it's Chicago versus Miami. Right. Which is in its fifth inning. Right. What's your? Um, what, and Atlanta oh, on, then versus I'll turn. Cincinnati, which is uh, in an extra inning. Uh, let me let me ask you then, who you know out of, out of those people or other people who? Well, I think Nicolay would be a great idea. Well, I think Nicolay would be a great idea. He's a very good businessman. He's a genuine person with a real heart of gold. Remember the Pescarolo incident? If you don't go and look it up, um, one of the most extraordinary things I've ever heard happen in the cutthroat world of motorsport business. Uh, he's French. He knows what it's like to be an entrant. He knows what it's like to be a chassis manufacturer. He knows what it's like to be a racer. Um, I, yeah. And obviously, he's a businessman. He's got a great yeah, commercial yeah. mind. Uh, away from what he does in motorsport, yes, he has. He absolutely has. But, but, you know, how would he fare with with the uh, mandarins of the FIA? I'm not sure. And the FIA quite clearly want to take, uh, f- right, from my point of view, the FIA quite clearly want to take a bigger role in running the FIA World Endurance Championship. They have been very forceful about the way that they want the regulations for the next top class to go. And that has been, in fairness, part of the issue about getting everything sorted out and why it's taken so long to get consensus. Because the FIA were dangling the sword of you can't be a championship with an FIA world championship nomenclature if you don't do what we tell you you want me to we want you to do. New president so, of the FIA coming next year though as well. Yeah, who's that gonna be? M- maybe uh, maybe <laughs> who knows? Anybody can stand? Yes. Anybody can stand. I think we um, should th- uh, start a campaign for Eve to stand. <sighs> She's going to say she doesn't have the time. She's going to say if she cut down all the, if she cut down the meetings that they have, she'd have loads of time. Because remember, talking about work isn't work; it's just having a meeting. Um, Jean Tot, what about Jean Tot then? When he's done, I, would he I come back and do something in WEC? Has got his eye on a appointment on a board of something. And still the Nobel Prize, which he must be very disappointed he hasn't got yet. Okay. Uh, you're listening we need to, to Midweek Motorsports. All right, Midweek Motorsports, Series 15, Episode 39. Tim? Uh, time to get uh, one of our two guests on tonight. Later on, we'll be talking to Johnny Molam, uh, which means, John? Let's welcome to the programme Richard Dean from United Autosports. Richard, welcome back to Midweek Motorsport. Thank you very much. F- first of all, Richard, congratulations. Uh, what a Le Mans 24 hours. Has it all sunk in, the achievement? Uh, I think the Le Mans thing has, because you live through it the whole race, well, the whole week and then the race, and it builds up and it twos and fro's. And, um, you know, when the chequered flag drops, I mean, especially with the race, uh, as it was for, for us, where it was, you know, too close for comfort at the end, definitely aged me about 10 years that last hour. But, you know, when the checkered flag drops, you know, the whole relief in, in, in the garage, the celebration of the garage, it's something that sinks in what you've done. And, you know, so, yeah, we're, we're all pretty pleased with ourselves. You had two very competitive cars, Richard, there. Just 
underlining what you and I have talked about many times before about how good you've got to be to win races, even 24-hour races. Small problem, oil line problem on one of the cars, took it out of contention when it had uh, when it had the pace, no doubt, on the 32 car. Yeah, you know, we've, we've had a, since we've done Le Mans as United, we've had a pretty good run with it. We think we had a fourth, a third, a fourth, a fourth, and now a win. And most of those have been pretty... Uh, faultless races, you know, the, the car hasn't been in the garage at all. Um, but yeah, the 32 car, uh, it, it had the pace to win. I think uh, there's a good argument to say, and certainly within the team, we recognise that that car actually looked more competitive than the 22 car that went on to win. And, uh, and the drivers would admit that from, you know, Paul DeResta, Philippe and Phil, uh, they, they knew at, at midnight that they were racing their teammates and it was going to be pretty tough. And um, so I was devastated for for all the crew in the garage and in the car of the 32 car. It's a, like you say, it was a fractured oil line, an aluminium fractured oil line around a, around a, wel- a weld. Um, but, you know, plenty of teams have some heartbreaks up and down. So thankfully we had two cars competitive and one could back up and take the win. Yeah, absolutely right. The business of motor racing doesn't stop. You had very little time to to enjoy that. I, I suspect there was a decent party on Sunday night somewhere, socially distanced, of course, although you were all in the same bubble, so it, it's fine. Um, you hinted to me when we spoke at Spa ELMS about going back into GT racing in a fairly significant way. The announcement came uh, fairly recently about acquiring the assets of what used to be Stracker, just down the road from me here at uh, at Toaster. And then the announcement that you were going uh, back into GT racing. That doesn't happen overnight, Richard, clearly. Um, planning that for a wee while? Yeah, I mean, like I say, we touched on it, didn't we, back in, what was that, July? Um, it was a long time ago. Um, you know, Zach and I have been talking about it for more than a, a year, um, finding the right time. We'd like to go into GT3, but we've got a lot going on at the moment with the, not just the move into the new building, but lots of activities from Extreme E that we've also talked about. Um, you know, LMP2, LMP3s hasn't slowed down, um, thankfully. And um, we thought GT3 would be a bit of a too big a step in the first year. It's massively competitive. And when you look at the teams in there, they've been doing it for such a long time. And we don't want to go in there and get beaten. And I think we we can't underestimate the level of competitiveness there. We thought that GT4 was a better step for us. We want to go straight into the European Championship. It's a, a credible series. I think they had an incredible amount of cars entered at the start of this year. Um, and hopefully it goes back to that number next year and it'll be worthwhile competing for. Uh, what you got from uh, Stracker was all the infrastructure from a, 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 GT, a team that had run GT and various other single-seaters, etc., etc. But what you didn't get were the cars you're going to run. I presume they still had the AMGs, did they? Did, was that part of the deal? Yeah, you know, I think you know, Stracker's been massively successful, haven't they? A well-run team. They've got some great kit, great equipment. Um, you know, have done brilliantly well. I remember watching them winning LMP2 at Le Mans themselves. Um, they've been front runners in GT, and, and when they decided to, to to close, stop racing, there was an opportunity there. But um, I only called up to try and buy one of their fuel rigs. And uh, <laughs> I know it's <laughs> I know it sounds daft, but during lockdown, 
we needed initial fuel rig and I thought, well, they've got some nice kit there. I wonder if there's something for sale, but they, they weren't interested to sell uh, everything off individually. They're just one person. So we managed to put a deal together and acquired everything, as you say, including the three Mercedes. So um, we've been trying to find some time to work our way through everything there, but it's, it's a massive shortcut for us to, to set a GT team up because like I say, you know, they've got quality kit and equipment. We're going to sell the three Mercedes and right. um, put put some McLarens in there and, and hopefully make it sound easy, don't I? But hopefully off we go. Most expensive fuel rig you've ever bought, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> lockdown wasn't wasn't good for me. I was I was uh, I was impatient and uh, looking for something to do. So. Yeah, it works out. Tells us a little bit about about motorsport and the differences. Whilst most people may have overspent slightly ordering stuff on Amazon, you managed to buy all all GT rigs. Yeah, me. Um, so starting in in GT four then, Richard. But I, I have seen you quoted looking at you know in, interest of of going and, and doing the international series and stuff like that. Presumably, that is all dependent on how the world looks next year and the year after. It's hard to make plans, isn't it? It's hard to make plans around anything that we're we're doing well in in life without trying to get too deep. But uh, you know, motorsport and the calendars and which countries you can visit and the travel—it's been really difficult this year. Um, but you know, we've managed to navigate our our way through it, as have most of the teams. Um, we, we've all got to hope and pray that it improves and. And we can count on series that are going to get announced. Um, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I, I think GT3 Intercontinental Cup is probably a, a harder one to sort of uh, presume everything's going to go well with that in, in terms of travel. The European-based series seems to be more realistic. Going back to the, the start of this conversation with Zach a year ago, you guys don't do anything... Well, I was going to say, you guys don't do anything just for the hell of it. Although we spoke at Spa, didn't we, about getting this all underway by going, oh, I think we should go and do some GT racing and get the outies going. Um, but I, I presume this was customer-driven or potentially customer-driven, uh, Richard, that you felt that was there was a gap in the market that United could step into? When you look at what we do from our race team activities you know we, we've got other things that united sports do as we've talked about in the past and historic restoration etc but from the race team activities we're we're heavily dependent on uh, all the aco series asian le mans we've done european le mans michelin one cups and you know lmp2 lmp3 um you know gt racing still surprises me you know the the performance of the gt three cars the way that the gt4 cars have progressed um and it's successful so just from a business perspective it, it feels right to have a foot in a in another series we're big admirers of stefan rattel and the sro and the way that they promote to have a foot in there from a business perspective is good but um customer driven you're correct it's also because we, we we see that quite a few GT young GT drivers work their way through GT4, GT3, and then move across to LMP3. Nice to sort of have an eye on those early and build relationships with those. And, you know, we're all about winning. So keeping an eye on who are the, the new talent coming through and it helps us get a bit closer to them. Hopefully that's the plan. 
when do you think the the new McLarens will uh, arrive, and when do you think we might see those GT4s out uh, on on track? Just is that contingent on uh, getting rid of the AMG GT3s on the whatever the racing version of Auto Trader is for sale? Three cars barely used. We're quite a long way down that already um, on the on the sale of the the mercedes we've we've got inquiries and now we're back from le mans of people wanting to go and see them so we're pretty confident that they're going to move and as such we've already done our full mclaren gt4 um order we've been talking to the mclaren support mclaren gt support guys for a while about some assistance in what we need and how we need to set up and specific equipment for the uh, the 570 gt4 car we get delivery of uh, two cars next week um and we've got so there's no secret about it we've got delivery of those they'll be in our workshop uh, around the time we're out in monza lms they'll be uh, arriving at united's hq which I still need to show you around john oh yes um we've got a test planned just a shakedown test not with any particular drivers zach stuck his hand up to do the shakedown i'm and sure he did on. yes yeah October 19th at Snetterton. We'll be uh, shaking down those cars just to get familiar with them. Uh, did it have to be McLaren with Zach's other hat on? I was talking to Zach on our Haggerty 25th hour on the Monday. Did it have to be McLaren or is that a, a, a pragmatic decision rather than, a, if you like, a, a moral one with, with Zach and his McLaren hat on? It, no, it didn't have to be McLaren, but you're right, morally it sort of make, makes sense. You know, I think for Zach, there were two manufacturers, McLaren and Mercedes, for obvious reasons that felt politically correct. There was no re- reason for us to look outside of those two because both are very competitive and, and you know we want to be competitive. But if McLaren hadn't produced a, a competitive GT4 car, we wouldn't be going with them. So, uh, yeah, a little, little bit of both, you know, in an ideal world. But as it turns out, the ideal world worked out well and keeps Zach happy. Richard, thank you very much for all your time. Congratulations again uh, to you. And I know it's a big team effort to all the team from both the 32 and the winning 22 car up there in God's country in Yorkshire. Well done, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Uh, Richard Dean there from United Autosport. Tim Gray, where would you like to go next? I think it's time for Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the uh, Grand Prix of wherever it was, Sochi. (laughs) That was possibly not the smoothest intro intro into our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Uh, hello. You need to get more of a, an open entrance into it. And now it's and now it's and announce the class. And now it's Formula Snore. Hooray! And I heard what you said. I don't agree with you, obviously. Oh come on, Nick. Uh, oh no, I, I think I actually said to you. I can't remember if it was on air or just a conversation we were having last week that you know, Sochi is a terrible track. You did. Despite what Joe Bradley said. He's marvellous, he said. Um, That's because he drives it in the virtual world on his own or drives it in some bizarre car or Formula One on his own for practice. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that for qualifying, it's quite an interesting circuit. It races very, very badly. And it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. I can't argue with Oh, well, actually, my job is to argue those points, isn't it? So pretend I have argued with you, even though I can't. Okay. Well, I don't <laughs> agree with you either, Nick, to exactly. be quite honest. 
Uh, insert, however, to your listener, insert your own argument into that. <laughs> we'll we'll leave a gap in the podcast. <laughs> the five-minute argument of the full half hour. Yes, exactly. Um, but, no, it, it, but then again, we still managed to get a boatload of controversy out of what was not the greatest race. Quite an interesting first lap, or actually quite an interesting up to the end of the first lap and the things that happened before the first lap. Yeah. Um, and then, no. Right, let's, no, do, I, I, let's do team by team. Tim, where do you want to start? I'd like to start with McLaren. Um, well, McLaren, um, no, I don't know whether I just read a, a slightly less reputable source, but they appear to have given up the concept of we're all in this together and no blame game. Uh, and Andrea Seidel has been, in, have been interpreted as saying it was all Carlos Sainz's fault. Um, Carlos made a really, really strange error, rookie error, mistake, and basically misjudged the angle in not shortcutting the second corner. He had to go through the, the in-out whoop type thing, and he managed to wipe off the uh, left-hand side of his car. What was very uh, unusual about that, Nick, is he'd done that earlier in the week, almost to practice it. And so <laughs> he, I, th- I think he was possibly t- a tad overconfident. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, cold tyres, perhaps a bit of understeering, but anyway, what then happened is he kind of came back on the track again. He, he completely got in the way of Lando Norris, who effectively checked up to nothing and then got overtaken by everybody. So, you know, in that midfield, if you suddenly lose eight or nine positions, you are in a terrible situation. So we never really saw whether, how good or bad McLaren were. They got no points, had a rotten time, and they don't like Russia. So we'll move on to Racing Point. Well, Lance Stroll doesn't like Russia either because Lance Stroll got two corners further before he, he pirouetted into the wall. And we all going, ooh, he's put the power on too early. But actually, he was punted up the backside by the completely unpenalised um, Charles Leclerc. I, mean, it, it, I know it's in the first few corners, you can get away with things. It's actually 100% Leclerc's fault. So Lance Stroll wasn't able to show the power of the new um, body kit. But uh, on the other hand, uh, Sergio Perez qualified for, finished fourth, had an exceptionally strong race, looked really good with the old spec car, um, was surprisingly ahead of Danny Rick, who we all thought was the best of the rest, was not surprisingly ahead of Alex Albon, who was terrible all weekend, but um, still hasn't got a job. Haas. Do you know what? I was afraid you were going to ask me about Haas because honestly, they didn't really do anything, did they? They did a lot of trundling around. They didn't get in anyone's way. Oh, Roman Grosjean demolished the barriers. That he was did. Oh, yes, that was good. Yeah, he that was spectacularly good. He, he brought out a virtual out, safety yeah, car. Yeah. I think that might have been the shortest virtual safety car in F1 history because it was called. They scurried out, put very efficiently put in two new polystyrene blocks, and it was off again. I, I'm, I'm not sure where those stats are kept, but I reckon that was the shortest one I can ever remember. Wasn't it was long enough for Pierre Gasly to have half a pit stop, and that was it. And Kevin Magnussen just did well, stuff. Magnus, yeah, and Magnussen was better than um, Grosjean this week. So that kind of, whilst they're not scoring points or anything, that kind of internal "who are we going to sack" argument uh, carries on. So they might sack both of them, given the fact of what's happening in the next couple of weeks. Next, okay, uh, Williams. Next. I, I like um, the way that Tim's sort of doing this, like an election, like coverage you know sure. you I, say I, somebody I, william i've no idea which way he's going because mm. strange order um yeah george it's Russell the order you agreed on before nick did i okay george Russell had a, had a poor run um and ended up last the runners he flat spotted a tire whilst having a, a spirited battle on lap two with norris and alban uh, nicholas atifi did it was was more anonymous than the invisible man but actually finished ahead of George Russell. So, well done, Nick. Yes, well, you know, kept it out of the barriers. Well done. More anonymous than the Invisible Man under a pseudonym. Excellent. Yes. Next. Alfa Romeo. 
Antonio Giovinazzi, not rubbish shock. Um, actually, a still didn't get a point Antonio, though, did he? And it's still too late. Um, and Kimi Raikkonen uh, could have done with a slightly better one as they still, I think, um, weighing up their options for, for next year about whether they're going to keep him on and who they're going to replace. But Antonio Giovinazzi is dead man walking. Next. Uh, Billy Good Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> well, after punting out one of his major rivals and not being penalised at all, Charles Leclerc then put another excellent performance with a relatively poor car and put it into sixth. And, and effectively, what he did, he made, it, made that happen early on, getting track position, not losing it, um, not going backwards in the car. It's difficult to overtake. The car wasn't too bad, actually, around some of the some of the corners. They have been doing some aerodynamic upgrades. I'm sure they're just trying to shed some of their draggiest downfalls. Um, Sebastian Vettel was there or thereabouts for a bit and faded away. I This is just a guess. I don't think he's really that interested at the moment. I think he's possibly not trying very hard. Next. Red Bull. Um, well, a tale of two cars, wasn't it, really? Max Verstappen, absolutely fantastic. Alex Alvin, absolutely awful. I, I just, as the days go on, the races go on, I don't see how they can keep Albon on. If you're looking for a quality number two who will not challenge Verstappen, but will pick up a lot more points, mm. always get the points that are available, I can't help thinking that not in the Red Bull program is a really quite effective Mexican mm-hmm. who would be the absolute ideal partner for Verstappen and would be chuffed to do it. Yep, and even brings a bit of money. I don't think they need that money, to be honest. I mean, he can, he can have it all rather than paying him, I would think. Well, OK, yeah. No, well, that works as well. That's still, I mean, still bottom line uh, benefit. I, I can't see a single reason to keep Alex and not take Sergio, apart from the fact that Sergio's not part of the Red Bull programme. OK, we'll talk about that in a minute. The, the people who uh, want to give him that money, of course, do want something in exchange, and uh, Red Bull probably don't want to give up that space on their car. Uh, Alpha Tauri. Um, Danny Kvyat decided, declared he was the best racer in the world. Um, I am the best, he said. Um, if, if everything goes right, I am the best. And his best was eighth. Well done, Danny. But it was his home race. So it was a decent race to uh, to go away. And, and starting on the hard tyres proved to be a masterstroke, actually. They ended up being much more effective than people thought. Pierre Gasly um, ended up in ninth. After that, he was kind of always going to be eighth or ninth. He was perhaps could have got eighth, but they pulled him in for this pit stop during the virtual safety car, which ended whilst he was still doing it. So he didn't get him what he thought he would do and had to go past a couple of guys and came back to ninth again. You know, eighth and ninth, good result for Alpha Tauri, Renault. Mm, Renault, Danny Rick, brilliant. Uh, Great brilliant. attitude from uh, DR as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, fair, fair point. He said, he said he knew he knew he, he was going to get the penalty, so you just have to take it on to move on with it. I think if you know you're getting a penalty, you know why you've got the penalty. It's very different if you get a mystery penalty or two of them. Um, but no, absolutely got on. And, and of course, the person he had to get five seconds ahead of was Charles Leclerc, who was doing his own thing, just trying not to be overtaken. So it wasn't quite as difficult as um, they may have made out. Uh, Espan Ocon, um, bit of a, I think he stars on a massive wane, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's absolutely unable to handle Danny. You know, given the fact that a lot of a lot of the off-track publicity this week was about Fernando Alonso coming back and just while I was saying that I've started watching the Fernando Alonso documentary on Amazon Prime it's uh, mostly in Spanish in, in, it was a dubbed version and I watched the first one yesterday and there were starring voices of Jay Parr Jay Hindorf and uh, Jay Shaw were on the uh, soundtrack really? from what? Yeah. Uh, Daytona 24 oh that we need to get onto the licensing people for that hello licensing department <laughs> I'm sure they didn't it's, ask it's, about it's, that exactly. it's a really good it's a really good um I've watched the first one, first hour, it's really good. I recommend it as a documentary. It's properly done, it's not it's not it's not fluff. Okay. And 
finally. And finally, Mercedes. Yes, well done, Valtteri. You won a race. Um, okay. Just before people say all oh, the championships back on again. No, it's not. Um, Valtteri has finished in front of Lewis on three occasions this season. Mm-hmm. Every single time, Lewis has had a penalty. Mm-hmm. So he had, a, he had the penalty, the grid penalty in Austria. He had uh, the uh, pit lane infringement in Italy. And now he's had the double penalty for stopping. Uh, yeah, anyway. In um, the middle of so, the track and being stupid. Well, no. I mean, I, I think I think that's open to interpretation. The problem it's is... It's not open to interpretation. It, it's in, it was in the regs. Nobody else did it, Nick. No, well, yes. The nobody else does it isn't necessarily an argument for why it's illegal or against the rules. The fact is that actually the the wording is so ambivalent that whilst I agree with you, you kind of look at it and think, hang on, that doesn't look right. If you actually read the wording of the uh, race director's notes, it just says before the red lights, and he was before the red lights. Now, the, the fact was, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think the other thing I would personally argue more about is why do you get an in-race penalty for a pre-race infringement? Oh, I don't have a problem with that. I absolutely don't have a problem with that. Happens in other series as well. When people it's not a big F1 thing. Um, it's, it's an FIA thing. It happens in other FIA championships. Mm. I, I honestly don't have a problem with that. There's no point in giving somebody, if somebody does something wrong that is a potential safety issue, which is what they were saying this is. It wasn't, was it? It wasn't a safety uh, issue. It was, it was in the... Okay, was, well, we'll disagree. We'll disagree on that. But, but it, in the eyes of... The race director, it was a safety issue. And if you're going to give somebody a penalty for a safety issue, there's no point in parking them up for five minutes in a practice session. Um, None at all. You've got to make it bite. And the only place you can make it bite is when the points are handed out, and that's in the race, whether that's the team or the driver. So I don't have a problem with that. Maybe that's because I watch US racing. But we've seen people park. Look at all all the, 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 the... the situations you get in sports car racing. Look what happened at Le Mans with EDEC. They got yeah, parked was, at the beginning was, of the race. But um, but that's the rules, they, mate. They, but they hadn't. But they had actually. They were actually. That's completely different because they actually hadn't qualified for the race as it was, had they? Because they hadn't done the various qualified no, but laps. That, so they were. But my they point, were a non-qualified my, car being let in late. Lewis. I mean, let's. let's I mean, it's, 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 I, I can see both sides of the argument, but normally these things are discussed at the rate. I think the five-second penalty was 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 harsh. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to affect anything. Uh, Championship-wise, it gave Valtteri the chance to win a race. He probably wouldn't have won. That he may have done. It was pretty. It was probably a knife edge, but he would have won anyway without it. Um, you know, and it gives it gives Lewis a chance to feel upset. So that's going to make things far worse for the next race because he just come back fighting. So. Or he'll you know. have a big strop. And no, you, you don't need Lewis having a big strop. That's the problem. Well, it it might upset him. All are gone by the... By, 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 yeah, I know what you're talking about, because obviously there was an issue after Malaysia five years ago, four years ago, mm-hmm. when he carried the he carried the hurt into the following race in Suzuka, which actually probably was one of the biggest reasons he had problems in 2016. Because if he won that Suzuka race rather than Sulky, he wouldn't have had the issue where he couldn't win it without Rosberg cocking up. But um, mm-hmm. no, I, don't, I, don't think, I think that's one of the ways that Hamilton, Hamilton has changed over the last three or four years. He's already kind of like, let it go. If you read his social media, he's going, fine, yeah, made a mistake, move on. So What I don't that, understand, and, and, and uh, bear in mind, I, I unusually didn't watch every session this weekend because I was rather busy elsewhere. What I don't understand is after they'd been penalised for it once or told they were going to be penalised for it once, why did they do it again? 
they didn't know they were going to be penalised. Oh, so it, they didn't get the nod until no, no, after no, no, the no. two sessions that no, they did the it? No, the nod was uh, way later. And there was no nod. There was an issue for 10 minutes. So in a way, you're kind of going, that's another reason. Why did you give it twice when they didn't know they'd made a mistake? Yes. Well, that but, I do agree with. But it was still, still a breach of the rules twice. Yes, yes but, I think, but it's like it's like if you, you can, it's interesting. I've, I've, it's still possible if you get two if you get two speeding tickets on the same day from a camera on the same road, it is quite possible to argue away the second one, because there is a, a statement about you need to be in, in the English law about you need to be aware and informed, and it, and it, and it has to be a fair and just punishment. So to punish someone, they twice, have been the informed thing, though, not wrong. not of the punishment, but of the crime. Yes. When? Well, when they were sent the race director's notes. They're, the they're like supplement. Are completely ambivalent, Tim. They no, don't but, make but any sense. But that doesn't that doesn't matter. Nobody else got caught out by it, Nick. I, I don't. I don't. I, I, we, yeah, we're not going to agree on this one, and uh, and it doesn't matter. And it's just another indication. Did they thinking, appeal it? No, you can't appeal it. Right? You can't appeal. Well, they, of course, they did. This sort of appeal it because the, the FIA admitted they'd made some sort of mistake. They took his penalty points away, didn't they? They gave him two penalty points, and then said, oh, perhaps no, won't do that. And when they heard the radio message, the team had said, off you go. They then changed it to a fine. Right. So, you know, that's, you know, in fairness, the penalty points have been far more of a worry to him than the, I, the, the, the 10 one, second penalty, using four points or four, uh, 10 points to um, the one, Potter. And I, 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 again, bear in mind, I'm catching up with this because I didn't see it as I would have done over the weekend. Uh, it, it's a penalty. It's a penalty. I understand that. Why, I don't understand, here are the things that I find difficult about it then. Um, why wasn't it called at the time? Because it was clearly on camera and it was seen. Somebody mm. saw it. And then and then why weren't they informed of that immediately so they didn't do it the second time? Well, Going the second back, time they did it was a lap on, after finished. the first time they did it. There wouldn't have been time uh, for that to happen. Okay. Then my other point on that is... You don't go back after a football match and award a penalty after somebody had been shown to be chopped down in the box. That's not how it works. It, going back that amount of time and, and giving two penalties, I think I'm with Nick. I, I think one penalty, given that they weren't informed about it at the time. They were informed about it as quickly as they could be. Mm. I mean, you, you don't expect enough. penalties to be dealt with Immediately, I mean, it was done within yeah, less than an hour. Yeah, but the awarding is under investigation. Someone could have, if, if someone mm. said within two or three minutes, which is how long it was, uh, you shouldn't have done that, they wouldn't have done it again. Well, okay, but let's, move, let's move on. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I'm it, now it, more informed than I was, and but, um, yeah. I'm, I'm still, it didn't ultimately, um, Lewis would have been second or third anywhere, so I think first, so. second, I mean, or third anywhere, no, so I think, it didn't I, change I the race I that much. Think to be honest, that Bottas would probably have won it. He looked pretty good, didn't he? And he only had to do it. And but the thing is, John, just to put it again in perspective, he's won nine races mm. uh, in his million years at Mercedes. Two of them have been either Austria or, or Russia. He's a track specialist. Well, and here's the other thing about Hamilton, though, which underlines the problem that that um, Petronas AMG Mercedes have is he's got the Lewis has got the fastest car on the track. He's the fa he's the fastest driver on the track. And he's got everything going for him. And he gets dumped down the field. And he still couldn't overtake anybody. He made one overtake to get back to third. Everybody else in front of him pitted. 
you know, that was that. I mean, the only person, in fairness, that was the only person he, I think he actually came up behind. I think that, I think he was just catching up Kvyat when Kvyat dived in the pit. Mm. He hadn't actually got to him. So we didn't really know about the overtaking or not, but it is a situation where that car's not built to overtake. So and that, know, that was part that's... of the strategy anyway, that they wanted to pit him early so that he wasn't um, at risk of an Lined undercut off. from anyone behind him. And it worked. Tim, where would you like to go next? Uh, I'd like to talk about Sergio Perez next. Didn't we do that already? What do you want to well, say about Well, we did, because we talked about him leaving, and you mentioned that Red Bull might want to pick him up to replace Albon, and we talked about sponsors. Uh, but he obviously has some options uh, that he's assessing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, including two Formula 1 teams that he might go to. Right, yes, yeah, so Alpha and Haas. Yeah. Uh, IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or retirement. A bit young to retire, isn't he? He said uh, at the weekend, after 10 years in Formula 1, I want a challenge that motivates me. If I don't find that, I won't stay. I might take a year out, see what options come in a year, or I might look for another series, or retire. Every scenario, none of them are bad options. Mm, he has listed all his options there, in fairness. Yeah, all of them. Uh, a paper at is the he? other end of... 28. 30. He's 30. Is he 30? Is he? God, he's, been, he's started young, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Not as young well, as Fernando. If he is at the end of his career, what about drivers at the beginning of his career, Tim? Of their of careers. Their careers. Uh, well, yeah. three of them are going to be testing Ferrari engined cars. Yes, in alphabetical order. As the well, day after tomorrow. Them. Are they? Yes. Mm-hmm. How's uh, uh, in alphabetical order? Are, no. Yes, because when they when they were out, when they did the press release, they, they they actually said the three drivers they wrote in alphabetical order, so he couldn't take any precedence from how they put nice. the names down in, in the in the. Uh, uh, yes, so they're all they're all going they're all at Fiorano with a two year old car, which is completely legal mm-hmm. and uh, two and test tires, and they're all going to have a go there, which is Robert Schwartz and Callum Eilert and Mick Schumacher. Uh, that first, was that wasn't in alphabetical order there. No, I'm just I'm just how I remember them. First, second, and fifth in Formula Two at the moment, um, and. The two more seniors, the two guys in the second year, Callum Island and Mick Schumacher, are going to have a run in Nürburgring in FP1, FP1 next yeah. race, um, with Mick getting the Alpha and uh, Callum getting the Haas. And they're going to let Robert Schwartzman have one, an FP1 in one of those teams in Abu Dhabi, mm. um, so a bit later on. So, yeah, so they're, they're going to run them all. And at the end of the day, they're going to decide to put Mick Schumacher in the Alpha Mayor. Alongside Kimi. I don't know. It depends on the other options around, but you know. And the other two will race the Haas. I I think he'd be alongside Kimi. Haas are not going to put two rookies into their team. No, Haas will do what they're told. They might take one. Mm. I think the convenient thing for Ferrari is to give Schwartzman his second year in F2. Correct. Um, especially as his as his second half of his season after a stellar start has been a little bit wobbly. Yeah, uh, a little bit. He's not. Yeah, well, he's right, been very. diplomatic. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I know this doesn't make a good programme, but I completely agree. I, I don't think either of those teams will want to go with all new lineups. I think Callum. I mean, Callum is a bit of a surprise because he's suddenly pushed on this year to everyone you know, a lot. Mick's not a surprise. He's Callum a second-year driver. He's been around for a very that. long time, though, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. I know, but he's always been fast yet fragile. Now he's turned to fast yet all right. Fast Mick, and Mick, still fast. Mick has always been a second-year driver. It takes him two years to win anything, and. Interestingly, of course, this, this this year in Formula 2 is a little bit of a misnomer. They keep going, this person's a rookie, this person's not. It's a completely different series this year than last year because the split, the, split, the shift to 18-inch wheels. Which you not know, everybody not, has got their is, heads around. Which is, 
people don't seem to remember, that is a bigger change than a new chassis. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, you don't all you've le- all you've learned in okay. year one, which you can which you can transfer is you've, you yes you've learned the tracks, but then they're the same tracks in F3, which Schwartzman has done, and you've learned how the pa- the power delivery and everything else is different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. Can we move on now? Uh, uh, yes. Back a bit later on. I want to talk about <laughs> Formula Two now. Uh, did. <laughs> right. Uh, what do we think of the speed at which the marshals put out that small fire? Uh, appalling. Mm. They were they 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 were they were worse than the Trumpton Fire Brigade when right. their strings have been cut. Okay, right. Stop right now because you don't know what was being said on the radio and whether they were cleared to go out and deal with it. The more important thing about that is that the cars shouldn't go under the Tech Pro barriers. That's okay. the first part of it. If you're going to yeah, if absolutely. you're writing your report to the FIA Safety Commission, um, look like look like. Aiken had a puncture on the right-hand side to me that before the contact, um, which sent them both in. Unabated speed, they go in, go under the tech port. That shouldn't happen. They both get out the car, fine, and then they didn't get the fire out. Ultimately, not getting the fire out in that situation with the driver out of the car, it doesn't matter. But clearly it would have if the driver had been unconscious. But yeah. you don't know what was being said and whether they'd been allowed yeah. to scramble Possibly. the fire trucks. Possibly. I've just realised also I've made a terrible um, uh, mistake in my comparison there because, of course, Trumpton was a stop-motion programme, not a puppet programme. So mm. you couldn't cut the strings on Trumpton. you have to perhaps do slower stop-motion. Mm. Indeed. Or just melt the plasticine from the heat. Um, but But that is... To me, what that says, I said it at the beginning... That you know, that's a, effectively a street track, and the kind of speeds that you're seeing around there, they're going to have to think about whether that's appropriate. Let's be really honest about this. Apart from Daniel Kvyat, none of us would care. If we never went there again. Mm. But obviously, they have lots of money, so we will go there again. Mm. And it is obviously a major country. But you, the, the, the Russia, they built, a, they've built a decent real circuit, haven't they, up by St. Petersburg? Yeah. That was supposed to be on the DTM calendar this year, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. was. Yeah. That, can we not? I don't mind going to Russia. I'm not gonna, this is not a social, economic, political statement I'm making here. It's just the track's awful. Let's go to St. Petersburg. They got proper. I think that's Grade One as well, isn't that track up there? It's like Grade One T. They work very hard to make it look good with the helicopter flyovers past the the uh, the flags of nations around where the Olympic flame was and all that sort of stuff. But it's not. It really isn't. But anyway, that's by the by. Second race, didn't get the full second race in F2. And uh, that was why. Mm. Michael Massey was out there examining, watching what was going on. i tell you what was impressive, how quick they got the replacement tech pro out there, even though they were bringing it two bits at a time on the back of pickup trucks. Well, yeah, it's, it, it, that's the point, isn't it? It's, it's a, a flexible, um, movable barrier. Because mm. They've got plenty of spare bits. But, yeah, the car shouldn't go underneath it. But, yeah, I'm not a great fan. As you can probably tell, I'm not a great fan of Solchi, So No, indeed. Are we getting Nick back later for some bikes? We are. Okay. Help! I'm being held here against my will and forced to do voiceovers. Don't mind her. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. That still makes me giggle. Uh, that one. Haven't heard that one for a wee while. All right, it's Series 15, Episode 39 on this sort of a supplemental programme where we normally have a week off, but we've brought you some 
of the big news already this week and we'll have a little more in hour two is Nick Damon will return to talk about the two world action from Barcelona at the weekend and there's been plenty of paddock gossip there as well we've got some sports car news mostly from America we'll be looking ahead to some live programming at the weekend and a Tuesday night race as well next week that's all to come up next on midweek motorsport and we'll start off on the telephone with a good friend of ours it's been a while since we've had johnny morlam on the program midweek motorsport on rs1 welcome back to the program johnny morlam jmo have you recovered from le mans yes thank you john it's a pleasure to be back on your program um i've i've still got a slight tingling in my right foot from the uh Oh, years and years and years of hitting, because I'm, I'm old school, so I, I brake with my right foot. So years and years of uh, hammering a brake pedal, especially when you're in a GT3, which we did a few years ago when I first started with the Red River Sport, means the pressures you're putting into with ABS into a brake pedal uh, have taken their toll on my foot. So after a triple stint I did, I got out, and I literally felt like I had a, a wooden peg on my right leg. I literally <laughs> had no sensation at all. And uh, went to see, actually, I have to shout out to the Ferrari Italian doctors because they did a great job. I know my sesamoid bones in the ball of my bottom of my foot are, are shattered. And they did a really, sometimes they move and it's really painful. Ah. Um, and they did a really good job of sort of gently massaging it out. And then they cut me an insole out and did me like a, I've got orthotics in my race boots anyway. Oh, God, I sound like a right invalid, don't I? <laughs> but uh, they did me this even better one, which was much thicker. And then I got back in and did another... I think I did another near, nearest damn it, another two doubles after that, and it wasn't too bad. But I just I lose sensation in my right foot after about two hours, which is fine for most normal races. But at Le Mans, obviously, yeah. sometimes you're doing three or, or more. I'm I'm surprised to hear that you still right foot brick because for the most part now it's all two pedal cars. You've you've never felt comfortable going over the left foot brick. Well, I've never, ever had to left foot brake, other than when I was doing some F1 testing when I was at Lotus, and I was the Lotus T125, and then I did some tyre uh, testing for Michelin way back with the Renault, the 3.5 World Series by Renault car, and then I had to left foot brake. And I can do it, but it's not so much putting the pressure in, that's not so much mm. the issue, it's the modulation... Yes as you're turning into the apex, because these days you're always still braking as you're arriving to the apex, or certainly on your, after you, you don't, you don't brake in a straight line, come off the brakes and turn in, you're kind of braking into the corner. And I find that my modulation isn't, um, isn't as good with my left foot to avoid lockups mm. than it is with my right foot, especially not, if I'm on a high grip track like Spa and everything, if I need to sometimes, and I actually did end up left foot braking in my last half an hour at Le Mans because my right foot, but I could just tell, like, especially Le Mans, where it's a bit bumpy, like going into the first chicane, the second chicane, Mulsanne corner, where you really break into the corner. I found that I, I was breaking at Indianapolis, I was doing it with my left foot, into the Porsche curves with my left foot, but, um, and even the final chicane into my left foot. But the, the, the two chicanes and Mulsanne, I had to do it with my right foot because there's so much modulation, and I just didn't feel comfortable to avoid a lockout with my left foot. But How I guess that's, you can't, you can't, I guess it's just a real case of not teaching an old dog new tricks. I just feel so comfortable with my right foot that unless I'm forced into doing it with my left foot, um, and I think actually in the Ferrari, the left foot is probably slightly better just because nowadays with so many turbo cars, mm. you can kind of, they don't like it at Le Mans. They don't like the overlap. And I remember racing with Christian Fittipaldi in the Celine 
back in 06 at Le Mans, and they actually had to put a light on so that when he was on both pedals at the same time, he, he would know about it because you can do, I think anyone that left foot brakes, you can see the overlap no matter how good they are at it, which is good for getting the brakes up to temperature. It's also quite good for keeping the turbo spooled if you're going into a corner and, and probably keeping the nose in a little bit when you do with karting in some corners, but not good for fuel mileage and not good for brake wear. So um, I remember Christian Fittipaldi was actually, the way it worked out on the lap, he was actually doing one lap less or could do one lap less mm -hmm. than we could at Le Mans. And so um, th there are advantages of left foot braking and probably I should be looking at those. But now that I'm um, pretty much retired, <laughs> I think I'll just stick to right foot. The reason I wanted to get you on tonight, Johnny, and thank you very much, because I know that even after Le Mans, the work doesn't stop for you and for Red River Sport. It struck me, and I mentioned it in the commentary, it struck me that there was a great story going on at Le Mans this year with you and, and Bon, Bonamy Grimes, and we talked about it on Midweek Motorsport before uh, Le Mans. I know, in fact, you were on one of the shows on Thursday, weren't you? Yeah, when we, right. you, di you We dialed you in. That literally four years before this year's race, Bon and Ivor and you were in our studio uh, at Le Mans, different times, of course, uh, yeah. for a start. And and Bon happy, was si happy times, yes, John, happy times. And in some ways, far less complicated. We do sound like old, <laughs> you know what's now, don't we? Uh, um, and, and Bon saying, "I'm going to be here one day. I'm going to be here driving in the big race one day." And you saying, "This is what Red River Sport is all about—to get people to that level." And you've done that with Bon. You've worked together with him where he feels comfortable and he's fulfilled part of his dream. That must make you feel warm and fuzzy as well, Johnny, to be honest. Well, it does. It does. And it, it's a sense of achievement, which, which I have to say, the more I think about it, the more astonishing it is. Because, and a massive amount of the credit goes to Bon um, because he progressed far quicker than I thought he would, and his level of commitment to doing it was fantastic. And I've said this before, I mean, his level of commitment to doing well is up there alongside professional racing driver teammates that I've had, which is one of the reasons he's so wow. he's progressed so quickly and, and he's as quick as he is, because he is definitely one of the quickest bronze drivers. That didn't really show at Le Mans because we were having all sorts of issues with the car, and then obviously we lost so much in terms of his unfortunate accident on the Thursday, which meant that we couldn't run at all until the 10, 15-minute warm-up before the race, and that was just literally to make sure it was all pointed in the same direction. Um, but he, he did so, so well over the last three or four years to progress as quickly as he did, and I never thought we'd be at Le Mans this quickly, to be honest. And the sense of achievement really comes from fact that you're going to a race like Le Mans and that's why we ended up doing the wet because we didn't want to just rock up at Le Mans and maybe do two or three tests in a car and then have him come to Le Mans in an alien environment. I've always said this all along, safety is my number one priority at Red River Sport for, for, for my clients first and foremost to make it and obviously it's never 100% safe but to make the situation as safe as you possibly can. And when we came to Le Mans I didn't want him to be a rabbit in the headlights, I yeah. wanted him to be in a position where he could really sort of take it in and be capable of, of, of performing at a level that he could really take in what he was doing and enjoy it. Now, obviously, with Le Mans this year being what it was without the spectators and everything else, a large part of that atmosphere just vanished into thin air. It's a really strange feeling. But nevertheless, in terms of driving around that track, driving at night, I remember him saying, 
after his first night session, he came in and he just said that was so cool. Just yeah. so cool with the headlights and the faster LMP cars behind him, passing him through the Porsche curves. And he said it, it felt like he was in the middle of a video game. It was Excellent. just incredible. Um, and then, um, fortunately, we got him to start the race, and uh, which was always kind of the plan. And then I also pitted sort of 40 minutes before the end because I happened to be in the car at that point. And I convinced him, I'd convinced him before I got in, actually, um, to get in for the very end because I said that it, it's, it's quite cool at the very end as yeah. well. And I've, I've done the race 11 times, and I can only remember, I think I might have finished it twice, but I can only remember doing that cool-down lap with the marshals on the track once, one time. Yeah. Um, and it is cool um, because even when there aren't spectators, you go out the back having the marshals come right onto the track and sort of line the track. In yeah. fact, they don't even line the track. They they give you about if you feel like a rally driver because although you're going slowly you've got like a, a one a one car width width between people waving flags and and he was knackered at that point because he'd done a fair amount of driving he certainly held up his end definitely it wasn't like we gave him the bare minimum he came on the radio and he just said johnny thanks for making me do this i've i've got i've got tingles on the, slow, on the slowdown lap so actually he ticked pretty much every single box apart from the one of being competitive because hand on heart we weren't competitive so i think that his next one if he does it again and hopefully we're working on things for next year obviously covid is throwing a big spanner in those works because with the calendar announced as it is uh, you know can you bet your house that sebring will be okay yeah, in point. march in america next year looking at the way things are going who knows but but if we do it again then the next step is for him to do it competitively and that's where red river um will will help as much as we can and as i've already mentioned i think that's probably where i'll step out now and and stop being a player manager and just manage it for him at that level because it's 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 taking on too much to do all the organization and coach him and everything else and drive as well at that level i just need to uh, focus on on one on one thing only just going back to something you said there you said that that born had, had surprised you how quickly he came on. But presumably, everybody's different, Johnny. So if Dave Miggins from Hartlepool uh, decides to wind <laughs> up his, uh, his... I've always liked Dave. Yeah, good lad. If he decides yeah. to uh, wind up his meat pie empire and go racing, he, he <laughs> it, it, might not be, uh, it might not be the same way of doing things for everybody. Uh, and the key to what Red River Sport and ultimately you are doing with people is being able to identify when people can be pushed harder or when they need to maybe do... Uh, oh, no, you need to do another year in ELMS. You need to do another year in British GT, whatever it is. That's the key, isn't it? Because there's no one-size-fits-all here. Absolutely, and flexibility is absolutely at the root of how we operate in, in terms of our modus operandi. And, and, and with Bon, it was a case of we knew the path we wanted to take, I had in my mind that it would probably take five years in terms of getting in the experience. We did Asian Le Mans series, and it's when we were in the middle of Asian Le Mans series, which is kind of the first time we moved to that level. I was still thinking maybe then another year of, of European, maybe the European Le Mans series, and then do WEC and Le Mans. And um, he just said to me while we were out in Asian Le Mans series, do you think, do you think I could, I'm ready for WEC already? And I said, what, next year? And he said, yeah. And I said, 100% you're, you're ready in terms of ability. You won't, you won't be a fish out of water. You're, you're ready mm. to go. It's probably a year early, but I, I do think you're genuinely ready. Yes. And so we're looking at always, everybody's different. I have other clients at Red River who, who have aspirations of doing Le Mans. I have clients who literally just want to do track days and get their race license and take it from there. So mm. we don't put any pressure on. We let the client decide 
basically how far they want to take it and how quickly they want to go and how much time they want to spend on it. So that's the beauty of it. But Bond was our real poster boy because <laughs> Bond was absolutely, when he takes on any challenge, um, he, he gives it absolutely 100%. And that's what he did with this. And it's, it's reflected in, in the results that he's had, you know. And don't, let's not forget that, I think it was two years ago, and you commentated on it, he became a class winner at Le Mans in Correct. that Aston Martin race you know and he drove beautifully already in that so it's not just about the pace and being quick because a lot of people can go out there and rip a lap off it's all about learning to be consistent and driving within yourself enough and you see this a lot with gentlemen drivers they can actually sometimes be very very quick but then they'll go off and they'll spin or something will go wrong and it's it's eradicating mistakes especially endurance racing that really lends itself to to doing well and that's one thing that he's still working on we're all working on that all the time nobody ever stops learning but that's one area where he's really improved dramatically over the last year or two and no matter how good you are no matter how natural much natural ability you've got it's all about experience as you know john so the more experience we gave him the better and better he got well and that and there's a confidence element to that as well and the more you're doing things right the more confidence you get the more you're prepared to push yourself when you see results and this is where i think your approach to this with Red River Sport, Jay Moore, is, is crucial. When you see you're getting results, it's like anything. It's if, if you're trying to lose weight and you're working really hard and you don't lose weight, it can be very discouraging. If you start losing weight straight away, it's great. The way you've brought Bon on and your other clients on, they see results straight away. So they think, ah, this Morlam character must know what he's talking about. I'll listen to him a bit more. And if you say, back off 5% and you'll be able to do those laps for an hour and a half, two hours, and that's what we actually need to do, rather than you going half a second quicker here, two seconds closer there. Close, it's uh, slower very there. interesting. Yeah, it's very it's interesting the psychology that you say thing. that. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting you say that because... That's, that is very, very true. And it's funny, when you first start with someone, you, you're very much with the coaching, you're literally talking them through every single aspect, you know, of what they're doing. So you're saying, you know, break here, break up to this point, ease out of the brake slightly, mm-hmm. turn in here, still maintaining a bit of brake pressure, come out of the brake completely, don't immediately go to throttle, have that moment of breathing in between the transition between braking and accelerator because too many people sometimes jump immediately to throttle when they're learning, thinking you either have to be on one pedal or the, or other. the other. There's a, yeah. lot, there's a lot of coasting going on in, in certain aspects, of depending on the circuit, obviously, in certain aspects of what you're doing. And just you're literally almost giving them a blow-by-blow account of what they should be doing with the steering, opening the steering wheel on the exit, because, again, a lot of people hold it a little bit tight on the exit, that sort of level of coaching. But then when someone gets really good at what they're doing, which is where Bond got to, a lot of that element goes out of it. So Bond has a really good understanding of data because that's his background. He's an IT genius, basically, which is how he came, you know, to be in the position that he, he was he's in now. Um, and so, you know, you give him... Uh, he would make an amazing data engineer. So he can he can download data and look, and analyze data, and he even writes different algorithms to look at different aspects of of races and stuff like that over and beyond what the team do, just to analyze his pace through stints and in laps, out laps, whatever you want to talk about. So he's very good at that. So I went from sort of still coaching him, but more towards the mental side of things that he needed to cope with and how to cope with those pressures of having someone behind you or in front of you, traffic, where to let people through, how to cope with the nervousness that you get before you start a race. You know, he would say to me, do you get nervous before a racing? Almost that side of things, we began Mm. coaching him on the mental side more than actually saying, 
break three meters later here and yeah, turn more than in, and, you know. Um, and somehow, I think one of the good things that will be good for me when I'm coaching him and not driving is I'll be able to use the real-time telemetry to actually coach him as he's driving oh, as wow. well and just give him pointers over and above <laughs> what we're doing at the, at the moment. Because at Le Mans, you know, you get out of the car, you need to get your, your rest, you need to get away, you need good to get point. your head down because you know you're getting back in. So I think that's another element where you can take him to another level because he wants to make another step again forward. And I think that's what we'll be able to give him. He's, he's living the dream of all of us if we had the, the wherewithal to do it. And, and is. that, that is, is one of the things that I still love about sports car racing, whereby, you know, it is that professional sport where Bond there is out on the same track as world champions. And, Absolutely. you know, and he's in the same and, race as world champions. You can't so do lucky. that anywhere else. He's so lucky, John, I know, because I know. And, and, and I look at it and it's great for me because you know what it's like. You're in this game. I've been in this business so long now and you do become a little bit cynical and maybe a little bit jaded even. And then I look at him and I just think you're so lucky because you're experiencing this for the first time, you know. And look and at the joy it brings. Oh, absolutely. And that's why the, the whole, I'm that banging on about it because I'm sure people have spoken about it it's on your program ad infinitum, but... That's why I'm so gutted that this COVID thing yes. happened for this Le Mans because well, he, he got to drive at Le Mans, but he didn't get to really have that experience, no. which, which in a way means that he still has that to come. So Correct. he's still lucky because he'll still sit on the back of the car in the driver parade, I'm sure, at some point in the future and look around and go, this is nuts. Yes. You know? um, and he'll still have all of those things. And I'm very jealous because he still has that. He has all of that ahead of him to experience. Mm. So, yeah, you're right. Absolutely I, living the dream. I, I want to finish off with one one point. Uh, I'm going to say a quick point because I know we've got um, we've taken up a lot of your time. But you did you, you have mentioned the C word um, and mentioned how difficult it has been this year. You will already, as I, I know with your clients uh, at Red River Sport, you'll already be talking about 2021 and you mentioned the WEC calendar. Yeah. Do I detect, Johnny, that next year in some ways might be even more difficult for everybody, and I, and I mean everybody globally uh, in terms yeah. of business, but particularly our sport, because a lot of people have committed budget to this year already, and therefore they've followed it through. But now after six, seven, eight months of difficulties in business, and particularly when we're talking about gentlemen drivers who are committing, let's be honest, serious amounts of money to go and follow their dreams, um, is that going to be, quite honestly, a harder sell for, for all of us in motorsport, but particularly in endurance racing that relies so heavily on that privateer income? Yeah, I, I think undoubtedly. Um, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that 2021 will have huge downturn implications given what's happening with COVID because especially from, a, from the AM point of view, why would you commit to the sort of numbers that you need to commit to for next year when, as we just mentioned, Sebring in America in March, you have to say that at best it's a 50-50 chance that it will definitely go ahead. It's certainly not a certainty. And you're asking people normally around this time of year, sometimes earlier, to commit to their budgets for the following year, individuals. And, and, and it's crazy to ask them to do that. I'm not even asking. So, again, flexibility comes into it. And the more flexible the team can be in terms of, you know, on a, almost a race-by-race race basis. But in WEC, you can't do the WEC on a race-by-race race basis just because of the nature of the championship and the penalties that are imposed if you miss races and all the rest of it. It's almost impossible to do that. So you then immediately just think, well, should I just step down 
a level for a year and just do the odd race here and there, aim to do a full program, but know that I can literally take it or leave it literally a week before and it's not going to have a huge financial implication for me or the team. And I think on the other side of the coin with manufacturers, I think 2022 and even 2023 is when you're going to still see huge fallout from this because the difference with an am an amateur driver is he tends to make commitments on a year-by-year basis. You don't normally get an amateur saying, right, I'm going to do three years. But with manufacturers, you That's do. You have two, three-year programs. So next year even will be falling within the remit of what they've agreed probably That's even two years ago with budgets already allocated, etc. But come 2022, that may well be at the end of a certain two, three-year life cycle for them. And that's when the COVID uh, thing will come home to roost and there'll be a massive impact. So I think we're going to be seeing the fallout for this in our sport for the next two or three years. And probably next year and the year beyond will be even worse on the sporting side, but on the, on the fun side of things, so many things mm-hmm. will, will fall by the wayside and the landscape may never, never, never recover because they were already on the cusp as it was, let alone now, you know. No, you're spot scary. on. It. I mean, your beloved Sunderland, what's going to happen to them? Don't, don't. You know. Let's not get started on that. We could talk about that for ages. Jamo, congrats. Anyway, anyway I'll, I'll, get off my, I'll get off my political soapbox now. Um, um, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Well done with Bon. And keep in touch. You, we'll have you on again soon to, to uh, wrap up uh, the season in WEC, which is nice. not too far away. Cheers, mate. That would be nice. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, John. Johnny Rowland there. Now, Nick Damon is still with us. Hello. And Hello. we're going to talk I about see. two-wheeled motorsport now. Excellente. Uh, and news about Francesco Bagnaia. Yes, news about all the Ducati riders. Yes. riders. It's officially confirmed now. Bagnaia will join Jack Miller at the official Ducati squad. Um, slightly more interesting, the Pramac Racing squad, of course, they've both been promoted from that B team to the A team. Uh, so Johan Zarco continues his comeback and his, uh, his, his uh, uh, comeback, his resurrection, his Phoenix event. So he's now into it with a full factory bike on the Pramac bike with Jorge Martin, who comes from Moto2. We know that Dovi, of course, has nothing to go. Now, have I missed it? What's Danilo Petrucci doing, John? Has he also got nothing at the moment? Uh, the current two works riders. I, you're right. I haven't heard that either. So if I've missed it, I apologise. I only caught the... Again, I was playing catch-up when I got back home on Monday night. Uh, I was playing catch-up and just watched all the races, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Although I, I, I've got a comment about Moto2 uh, in a moment. Remind me. Mm. Might as well do it now. Yes. No. Uh, well, so, yeah. well, okay. Yeah. My two comments from the weekend was I thoroughly enjoy all of the um, MotoGP races and I watch them um, pretty much every session, every weekend. Barcelona, without the chicane in, is magnificent and it races so well for bikes, it's bonkers. Um, That's the final chicane. But how is it, Nick, that Moto3 and MotoGP, they're constantly those bikes look like they're trying to throw the riders off and everybody's muscling them around and even the little bikes the Moto 3 bikes they look a right handful and they're right on the ragged edge and Moto 2 kind of looks like everybody's out on a track day <laughs> they well, just look it. a bit yeah. more they look a bit more languid they're not they don't change direction as quickly and it's not i mean it's nothing to do with the triumvention that's clearly a big step up from what they've had in the past when they had the 600 honda wasn't it that they, mm. that they had before but there was just something and i don't know whether it was that track at the weekend that really made me notice it but then i thought back to a couple of other motor twos but really it it looked 
the racing was still good, don't get me wrong, but it didn't look anywhere near as as ragged and as difficult in terms of the bike handling as Moto3 and MotoGP. Well, I think that's because you'll find that there was a very good reason for this, is that in MotoGP, they got too much power for the bike. Right. And in Moto3, they got too much rider for the bike. So... You know, basically, it's looked very because the riders are trying to throw themselves around to gain any advantage they can on what is effectively very good. an underpowered machine. Very good. And of course, they're hanging on for dear life in MotoGP. And, and much like Goldilocks, one's too hot, one's too cold, but the perfect balance is Moto2. Right. Okay. Anyway, back to the. Ri- so, well, should we not, talk about Moto3 as you mentioned it? Because we had uh, a debut uh, winner. Well, not a debut uh, winner, but a first time winner. Yeah. And uh, aided and abetted by John McPhee taking out the championship leader at turn two, which was the big action area uh, all the way in. The first left-hander on the circuit. And any time anybody shut off while they were uh, leaning over, they fell off. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was pretty much as simple as that, two into three. Um, it was very odd. Uh, usual uh, 126 Riders battling for the run to the flag at, on the end. It was, you know, the typical Moto3. At one stage, I did count 11 bikes across the track going down into turn one, and three of them had come out the pit lane exit, um, <coughs> running down the track, uh, and one of them was nearly on the grass either side. It was magnificent. Sounds like a pretty standard Moto3 race. That was, absolutely. Moto2? Didn't see it. Okay. It was all right. It was still all right. But the big talking yeah, the big point one. is Moto 1. Fale falling off at turn two. Losing a chance of at least a podium, if not a win. Two, sad. Would have been his 200th podium had he managed to hold on. His body language as he walked away was either extreme, well, was either extremely disappointed or actually I've, he'd hurt himself a bit more than, not the wind out of himself, certainly a bit more than people realise because. He, he he didn't look a happy bunny, did he? When he got um, when he was walking away, and he, even when he got back to the garage. No, that's, that's two in a row for an off, isn't mm. it? As well, which is pretty unlikely. I mean, you know, the guy's forty-one, so we'll have to cut him some won't we? Let's just <laughs> remind ourselves: he's forty-one. He's still riding at the top level, and it's extraordinary. And he's missed so little of his career through injury. It is extraordinary. If he was half his age, um, and he'd, he'd only had the the kind of um, enforced absences. It would have been impressive, but at 41, just remarkable. And news for next year. Yes, he's finally signed uh, with Petronas. Apparently, the big sticking point was how many of his mates he could take with him um, um, because he wanted to take his entire team, his engineers, his data engineer, his chief mechanic, and, and the Petronas team said, no, no, we've got a setup that's that's already set. So he, they're having a round. I think at the end, it took three people. So, I mean, it's a very, you know, I, you know, much as I love Valet and much as he is the, he is the heart and soul of the, uh, of MotoGP, um, if not the, the front running racer. I mean, it's, you know, he can't think, yeah, you, know, you kind of think they need to move on a little bit. And therefore, uh, perhaps it's, it's just as well that, uh, uh, Petronas stood firm. I mean, let's see if he gets another year and see, see how it goes. You know, and that's another Yamaha, of course. So he stays yeah, with the same work, manufacturer. Yamaha. It's, it's another full works Yamaha. Yamaha. Yep, correct. Um, um, and while, and uh, at the front of the field, your favourite Frenchman, Fabio Quattararo. Fabio Q. Yeah, FQ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he uh, sort of One. back to form. But I, I wonder, I can't help thinking we were robbed of something quite interesting 
had Valle stayed on, because Quattararo and Tyre the cut. Yeah, they went to, went to went to nothing, didn't they at the end? Yeah. Who are the most bits falling off? But he's got an eight-point lead over what Amy described as incredibly surprising second place Yoan Mir uh, from Suzuki. I don't think you get. I think you get get could have got pretty long odds on that at the start. Declan reckons Mio's going to win the championship. Well, Declan Brennan. Given the fact that no one is taking his championship by the scruff of the neck, then no. consistency would be the answer, which would normally make you think that Andrea Dovizioso. I'll get there eventually. Dovi would win it because he hates the rear tyre, the new rear tyre from Michelin, so he's just going backwards. So, And obviously he didn't get points at the weekend either. No. So it would be brilliant if Mia did win it. It would be fabulous if a Frenchman won it. Quattararo's in the best position at the moment. Just such a shame. Uh, and I understand um, why it's happening, but such a shame that a Frenchman leading the championship, going back to France for the next Grand Prix at Le Mans, and there'll be nobody there or hardly anybody there. But who was it at the weekend that said, yeah, it, it is a shame there's no crowds there. And I can't remember if it was four wheels or two, but it's not the tragedy that everybody thinks it is. The tragedy is the people who have lost people in this pandemic. Yeah, it's, not, it's not a tragedy. It's no. just, it's, 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 it's disappointing. That's yeah, all it is. it is. The word tragedy is massively overused. And I can't, in, 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 when it comes to sport, you can name the tragedies, you know, Le Mans 55, Heichel Stadium, Hillsborough, those are tragedies. Losing a cup final is not a tragedy. No, no. And I, I think, I can't, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who that was at the weekend, but I did th- thought it was very, well said that you know the tragedy is the reason we can't have fans and you know ultimately absolutely absolutely correct um Quattararo though he's he's had to really scrap to get back into form after looking like it was all his at the start of the season and he still didn't look totally convincing at the weekend yeah his third win I've win the first two he's now one again um we're going to a couple of you know we're going to to Le Mans should be inspired by that. It's it is his to lose, to be honest. But as you say, just racking up the points as uh, as Mir is doing could be the secret because he does have if he has another little dip or a, a fall off. He's only got an eight point lead. But 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 that consistency, other than Johan Mir, uh, there's nobody had it, and there's no guarantee. Look, you know, last week's winner, the, the previous weekend's winner, where where was where was Vinales? He was nowhere. Vinales was nowhere. Uh, Morbidelli, who won the previous week, was not be anywhere. Um, you know, it's it, if you look at the championship, you know, you, you've got Morbidelli, Miller, Takahata, Nakagami is mm. in seventh, has yep. done nothing all season nope. as far as you would know from nope. the television, but has scored like a fifth every single time. He's yep. only a couple of points behind Jack Miller. He's four points behind Morbidelli. He's only eight points behind, eight points, sorry, t- uh, ten points behind Dovey. So, you know, there is a lot to be said. I mean, Just, let's be honest about this. If 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 Marquez had been there, he'd have wiped the floor this bunch this year, wouldn't he? Well, but but that <laughs> was going to be my next point. You know, what we've got without Marquez is a, an interesting championship that we've never looked at in this way before because it's always been Marquez who's just been winning all the time. And once in a while, one race, five laps in a race, maybe somebody will challenge him and, and then he'll swap the chips in his head and, and ride away from them or he'll play with them a little bit. Or once in a while, we have a chat about the fact that, oh, somebody did get to him. What we've been missing is everything that's going on behind that and the inconsistencies of what's been going on behind that. In, listen, I'm not at all decrying the skill, the talent and the achievements of Mark Marquez. But frankly, when you look at this year, no the wonder he's keep winning everything because he's, he's good and he doesn't make mistakes and everybody else behind him 
is making mistakes. And yeah, has no, been for and, years. And the, and the point I've made made for a while is there is none of the other. All the other top riders are either too old or too injured. Mm. I mean, he's too injured at the moment. Yeah. Um, I don't think he'll come back this year. Well. He's not coming back this I year. Is he? Get the impression that he might want to come back for a couple right at the end just to get his eye back in again. Also, I think because obviously Honda are floundering for direction. Mm. Um, and therefore, he might want to make sure the bike he's got something to work with is a bike for development for the following year because I don't think they've had no, effectively no bike development, and that bike is built around him, no one else. Do you think it, so, it would be better off him just potentially do some non-public testing and seeing how he is? He's, if he's not fully recovered, then yeah, because he won't he won't overpush it in testing. If he You're if right. he is fully recovered, and if and, and you know the point about this is now it may be that they are taking. Rather than what motorcycle riders normally do, which is come back way too early, yeah. perhaps they are saying, let's do the full amount of recovery, Mark. And then when mm. you come back, you'll be fine. Um, so, you know, three months, which I think did leave the last three or four races available that time, um, then you can come back and, you know, not expect to win or, and probably still beat everyone here. And you're right, there's <laughs> a lot of beat up riders out there um, thinking of people like Carl Crutchlow and others who mm. clearly aren't riding at their best. Uh, it's France next time out. Quattararo to win in France on the Yamaha? Well, let's hope he doesn't have an implosion like Zarco did, his fellow Frenchman. Where to next, Tim? Uh, America next. Excellent. Uh, because on Saturday we had uh, a race won by a bush. Right. Uh, Brexton Bush. Uh, to be I thought you were going to say Juniper Bush. No, Brexton <laughs> Bush. Right. Who is the son of Kyle and Samantha. Yeah. And he won his very first kart race. Excellent. And I'm so pleased you've dug up that massive story. Well done. And then the following day, Uncle Kurt won as well. Las okay. Vegas. Oh, okay, well done. Uncle Excellent. Kurt. Well done. Um, well done. While we're talking about NASCAR, though. There have uh, been right, some okay. big NASCAR As stories we oh, this week. That was a huge crowbar moment there. Hang on. Let's <laughs> <laughs> All right, big H NASCAR stories. Who are we not going to see on the pit wall uh, in the future? Not me. No uh, uh, Chad Knauss. Well, he's been, he's been sort of stepping back a bit, hasn't he, since the, the relationship, since he stopped engineering or crew chiefing for Jimmy Johnson. Uh, he's been working with Will Byron uh, yeah. this season, but he will now take on a new upstairs role as vice president of competition. <laughs> Is that what it says, a new upstairs role? Uh, that gives him responsibility of personnel uh, for all four of uh, the Hendrick teams. Right. And uh, preparations for the 2022 next-gen car. Next next gen. We have the next gen car before, so this must yeah, be the second Yeah, we're on to our gen. third next gen now. Mm. Uh, we also um, have a NASCAR calendar for next year. Oh, nice. Got like what one picture a month for 12 months? Is that the sort of thing? Because that's the only calendar anybody can honestly put out right now. This has some interest. Really? Yes. Because? The spring Bristol race... Mm -hmm. will be run on dirt. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, I did pick that up. So how long is it since... You'll know this, uh, you'll know this Tim, because you'll have researched it. How long is it no, since the Cup Series last run on dirt? I have no Tim. idea. Uh, uh, it's magnificent. So where are they running it then? Inside 
they can't be running it in the normal Bristol place because they're not going to dig up the track and there's no room to put a dirt circuit around the outside. It's a bull ring. I presume they're just uh, sprinkling dirt over the top of the tarmac. No. Really? Yes. Sorry, I'll bring that down to a level where uh, anybody other than dolphins and cats can hear me. Really? I'm not sure. Uh, okay. Uh, the other addition to the calendar is Circuit of the Americas. Uh, yes. Now, that's the short circuit at the Circuit of the Americas. Where's that go? You turn off just in the middle of the S's and double straight back round to um, what I think is turn 13. So you cut the long straight out. The long back straight you, gets you, cut out. You cut quite a lot of it out. So, so you come over the top of the rise at 1. Right, yeah, through one, down through two, through three, and as you're turning into four, so you've gone under the walkover bridge, you cut off to the left there, and you come back on after the back straight, you turn left, and then and then the, the it goes up, and then you pop in there from the right hand side, uh, from the left hand side, rather. So into that hairpin before what would normally be 16, 17, 18. Yeah. So. So they're really just going to put a whole heap of dirt down. I'll uh, try and do some research for next week. Okay. Bristol, no, hang on. Bristol Motor Speedway has been previously converted to a dirt track for the world of outlaws. So that Bristol dirt race in the video game is very real. But right, okay. Fair enough. And I'm surprised. Is it? I'm surprised they're doing that, because it's a good race as it is, but I suppose they're constantly looking for new excitement, aren't they? Fresh from his first solo victory in the Supercars Championship, Cameron Waters joins the On The Grid team to break down his success at the Bend Motorsport Park this week. The man from Mildura talks about leading the Tickford Charge in 2020, how he's been creeping up on his first win since Sandown three years ago, and thoughts about the upcoming Bathurst 1000 with gun co-driver signing Will Davison. Then Dale Rogers joins myself and Tony Shebecki to break down the exciting weekend of racing at Tail and Bend, what it means for supercars moving forward. We also talk Formula One and whinging racing car drivers. 9pm Thursday night UK times on RS1 is when you can tune in to On The Grid. Uh, we've got some IndyCar calendar news as well, but without having an IndyCar calendar. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and how does that work then? Well, according to Robin Miller, there's going to be a shake-up to the calendar, but it's not been officially announced. Right. Okay. Well, we'll wait for that until it is. Uh, busy weekend whilst we're still in America. Busy weekend for IMSA with a triple header for the Porsches. The announcement of a new Porsche Carrera Cup North America. And after this programme tonight, Tim, can we play the Dr. Ambruster interview after this programme tonight? We can. Um, just to, to explain that, because a few people might not have heard it on IMSA Radio over the weekend. So we'll dig that out and tack that onto the end of uh, tonight's special midweek motorsport um, supplement edition. Um, we normally have a, uh, of course, as we were saying at the start of the show, we normally have a brick after Le Mans 24 and Nürburgring 24, but... We're deciding where to have our break more um, tactically uh, later <laughs> in the year. But this is a bit of a, a supplement. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Two Michelin Pilot Challenge races, uh, both of which were belters, if you haven't seen them yet. 
uh, go and search them out or go and listen to them. Very confusing uh, WeatherTech race that had Jeremy, Shea, me, and pretty much everybody who was listening and watching completely confused about what was going on with fuel usage, with tactics, uh, with strategies. And uh, it was another win there, the third in succession for um, Acura at the front of the field. And we also had the announcement of the two new Acura teams for next year taking over from Penske, which will be uh, Wayne Taylor Racing, which was perhaps the shocker. Uh, not so much Maya Shank Racing because they're already involved with Acura. Wayne Taylor spending uh, a goodly portion of time with us on our Michelin Countdown to Green. That's worth a listen as well if you want to download that, if you haven't done it already. He was uh, really uh, very, uh, very generous with his time and answered all of the questions so Acura staying in Nick despite Penske uh, walking away at the end of their first three years and two decent teams Mayor Shank obviously Indy cars and doing GT3 at the moment they're not going to replace uh, they're not going to continue with GT3 Wayne Taylor Racing uh, Series champions um, walking away from GM and Cadillac that's a bit of a surprise yeah, and I assume that that surprise has been has been um, nicely softened by a, a fi significantly better financial deal, I suppose, from from Acura. Um, yeah, I was a bit surprised by that because they've had a huge amount of success with Cadillac, and the Cadillac's still a very competitive machine. And obviously, Cadillac, I'm pretty sure, are pretty committed to DPI too, as well, whatever it's called. Sorry, I know it's not called DPI two. No, anymore. no, that's what I keep calling it as well, LMDH, possibly. Yeah, so it's a big it's a big move. Therefore, you would pretty much think that there's been a long term commitment made by Acura to uh wayne taylor and, the, and Maya shank that this isn't just for this this iteration they're also seriously considering moving forward with the no, i'm going to call it the, the point the pointless hybrid they, they're currently putting in the, well we asked Wayne that and, and where he made it very very clear that he wasn't going to speak for honda um that he wants to go to le mans and he can't go right. to le mans with the current cars so mm -hmm. that sort of answers the question, doesn't it? That mm -hmm. somebody at Acura Stroke Honda uh, has made that connection as well for WEC, possibly um, whatever form WEC is in in two years' time and, and, and if it actually still exists in its current form, which may or may not be the case with the current climate. Um, but certainly Le Mans will still exist and it would give them a chance to, to go and compete there. Uh, and... Can we move it into a little bit of uh, Le Mans WEC news off the back of that, Tim? Or have I, you got I, that I was I was going to move it into a promotion of uh, some virtual uh, Petit oh, Le Mans right, this do weekend. That. Do that then. Uh, it's on RS1. It is the Ooh. VCO Petit Le Mans. Mm -hmm. uh, what time does it start, John? Uh, two o'clock UK. Two o'clock UK. The race starts is when the race starts. We'll be on the air a little that, bit before that's that. When, that's when my team will be starting. I'll be starting whenever I, I get my, I'm off shift. But mm -hmm. it's very exciting. It's it, you know as everyone knows. It, I don't make any any hide this fact that Petit Le Mans, the real one, is my favourite race in the world. So to do it really? virtually, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, by far my favourite race. Is this the first of the big races then where we've had the new? Um, LMP2 car. Oh in. yes, the new P, the P, new P2 car. This is and also the Corvette. I, I can, yes, and the Corvette. And I can tell you, I know a certain very famous racing driver is practicing and will be in the top split. Really? I've seen his. I've seen his practices going on. Mr. Mr. M Verstappen. He's got a week off, and which would make me assume that Lando will be in there as well. And they're in P2, presumably. Of course. And what are you racing then? P2. Oh, but you won't be no. in the top split. 
no, well, we don't okay. know that yet because uh, qualifying hasn't happened. No, we, oh, no, 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 we do. No, it's, it's not done on qualifying, team. It's done on your I rating. We we have actually had to, we, we, we've, we've kind of uh, trimmed our team down to, to reduce our I rating to give us a chance. So we'll be about two splits in the bottom, which is where we deserve to be. Okay, fine. And it runs for the full 10 hours. It is a yeah. direct copy, as all of these VCO races have been uh, this year. So it's Joe Bradley, Nick Damon and me uh, on at the weekend for that. Is that right? No, it's it's me and you and Johnny Palmer at the weekend. Sorry um, for that. And I'm really looking forward to it. One of the things I've, I've said to Nick, uh, so he knows this, but I may as well say it as well. I think that the modelling in virtual reality of Road Atlanta is possibly the most nuanced of any of the tracks that I've um, used that type of simulation on. The, the, the little camber changes, the curbs you can use, the curbs you can't, where you need to be slightly offline because there's a bump in the track. And, and actually, it's an old, slightly older version of the track, so it is actually the one that has all those little nuances that people who have raced there for years knew about until the resurfacing. Um, they got rid of a lot of that at Watkins Glen as well in real life when they resurfaced it. But in, in virtual world uh, and iRacing world, Nick, uh, quite a lot of those tracks still have those little wrinkles that, that you have to work out yourself. We've still got the tree at VIR, for example, and that mm. went about four years ago. Uh, no, More the track is, is, is a, it's a much, much bigger challenge in the virtual world than any of the other endurance races we've had on, on VCO, Nürburgring, Spa and, and Le Mans, because it is so busy, so busy. What, what sort of lap times are you doing in a P-Taker? Well, the guy at the top guys will be doing one nines. Um, wow, 69 well, that's, that's about right. Flying. Yeah. Um, I'm doing 111s, obviously. Uh, but it's not, it's doesn't matter, that doesn't, doesn't matter. It's only the first three laps, and after that, it's just about traffic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's all it is, it's just about traffic. So, you know, and the amount of traffic they're passing, if you think about it, the only other multi-class race they've done they do is Le Mans where it's a three minute 43 second lap or mm. Nürburgring where it's an eight minute lap yeah and this is one it's just about it's gonna be all about and it's gonna be about being patient because yeah. there are certain parts where it doesn't matter how slow the car in front of you is certainly once you go from two 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 to five you just got to follow them yeah you have to follow Down them through the S's. seconds there's nothing you can do about it no there's no there's no offline driving there particularly when the the, you get the tyre debris outside. And that's not the only uh, virtual racing we'll be covering uh, before next week's Midweek Motorsport because Bruce Jones uh, and me will be looking at the next round of the digital Nürburgring Langstrecker series, which is on Tuesday. The uh, VCO guys and DNLS have decided to take those races away from weekends where fixture congestion for the virtual world as well as competition with real world races and remember there are some real world races who are challenging for championships there um, simply has to be done so they've moved it to Tuesday evening that's a three hour race we'll have that live in sound and vision for you as well and we'll have the sound and vision from Petit Le Mans on Saturday from just before two o'clock UK time with Max Verstappen apparently uh, so there we are. That's a bit of an exclusive here on Midweek Motorsport. Let's do some uh, ever since I was a young boy news. Excellent. <laughs> Got them. Uh, 
This uh, relates to Jack Constable, who is a former winner of the Dubai 24 Hours in the TCR class, TC class. Yep. Oh, yep, uh, yep, yep. And I'm he will make his British Touring Card debut at Croft next weekend. Right. Uh, and the press release says, This opportunity is a dream come true for me. I've been a fan of the BTC ever since I can remember. Well, he's just lifted that from Jade Edwards last weekend, hasn't he? Yes. That's exactly what she said. I grew up in this paddock. Yeah, and she Although did really he didn't. well. Well, okay. She did a she did a great job at the weekend and finished finished races, which was what she set out to do. And then was taken out of the third one. Yeah, unfortunately. That was the one where Did she you had did you see the quote? Well. What did she say? Uh I was battling with Andy Neat and got past him and then Andy Neat was Andy Neat. Yeah, very good. That's very good. Yeah, Jade said, uh, racing is in the BTCC is a childhood dream of mine and something that I've made no secret of working towards. I've been the paddock since I was 10, etc., etc. So, so, very similar. Very similar. And we also had Moving one on. from uh, Robert Schwartzman. Oh, we obviously covered that earlier in the show. And that's about it for this special edition of Midweek Motorsport, the Midweek Supplement, if you will. Bit of an extra show that uh, perhaps you weren't. Uh, expecting to be hearing after our double weekend of 24-hour races. Thanks to Richard Dean and to Johnny Morlam, to Nick Damon and to Tim Gray, our executive producer. The responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. Stay tuned for that uh, Dr. Daniel Ambruster uh, interview to tell you all about the the new for 2021 Porsche Carrera Cup North America which includes a couple of, uh, of new wrinkles and a brand new car. That's all coming next, but there's no time to explain because the Llama is going for a well-deserved lie down. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com. Delighted to have with us Daniel Ambruster from Porsche. Some good news from Porsche, something that's been discussed for a long time, we are going to get a Carrera Cup for North America? Yeah, that's correct. The Porsche Carrera Cup North America. And you are absolutely right. We are working since several years um, to bring that alive. And um, I think this year with the um, coronavirus, a, a quite difficult um, timing probably. But um, please keep in mind, uh, we have now um, this year the 30th anniversary of the Carrera Cups. So... In 1990, we had the, the first Carrera Cup established in, in Germany, the Carrera Cup Germany or Carrera Cup Deutschland. And uh, since then, uh, we established several Carrera Cups. Meanwhile, we have nine worldwide. And I'm really delighted um, to bring the Carrera Cup program and concept to, uh, to North America, so to Canada and USA. Was it a difficult decision to continue with this plan yeah, for sure. We try to con um, to take this into account, the entire situation. And um, for example, we um, we are planning for the Career Cup venues next year, more focused on the East Coast where all these uh, racetracks are. And um, we try to keep traveling as minimal as possible so that everyone can drive with with a car and, and bus so they don't have to travel with, by plane. So we try to um, take that into account. We will have no crossing um, 
from uh, East Coast to West Coast, so no races at the West Coast. And that's um, just because we want to um, keep traveling as minimal as possible. Dr. Armbrister, you've had a very successful Porsche Cup in the USA, looked after by IMSA for a very long time, and it's produced some fantastic talent. Why did you feel the need to change from that program? Uh, we, we had in the past the situation that, um, as you mentioned, we, we, we have extremely talented young drivers from Canada and also from America. Everyone is looking for the shootout in uh, in Europe. So at the end of the season, we um, give one of the best drivers, young drivers, a wild card so that they can go to uh, Europe and um, go to a shootout and win a, a seat full season in, in the Carrera Cup. So that's the goal for every young driver. But we had a lack in the performance because the guys, they drove on uh, Yokohama tires and all the other career cups they are driving on michelin tires and this was a disadvantage for our talented young drivers now with the career cup we are um, having a very good partner with michelin michelin is um, also supporting all the other career cups worldwide so now we have equal weapons and um, the education during the entire season is now much better our drivers can um, adapt to the tire and I think uh, right now, after a season, they are in a much better spot really to compete with the other talented drivers around the world. So if, if they are um, getting enough experience um, during the season, I think they are really um, well prepared. We have awesome tracks next year on, on our plate. And probably it's also interesting for other drivers abroad um, to join the Career Cup here in America. And vice versa, of course, um, just to get more experience and to um, to mix the entire um, Career Cup community a little bit up. So a change then to Michelin tyres, but a, an awful lot will stay the same, including the sanctioning body. This is still going to be with IMSA. Never change a running system. We have um, so many um, years under our belt with IMSA. We know us uh, each other pretty well. We know all our strengths and weaknesses. It's a very good partnership, a very honest partnership. We can address also things in both directions. And um, the, the working relationship is um, well proven. And they are doing an awesome job in, in the execution, racing execution at the racetrack, doing uh, the scrutineering, doing um, race control, managing the entire um, racing operation. And... This will be also the job split. Um, so IMSA is taking care for the operational side at the track. And we are taking care for the communication and marketing side. Our intention is to taking care more for the paddock. So IMSA is taking care for the racetrack and we are taking care for the paddock. And we want to establish a new feeling, a new experience in, in the paddock because nowadays paddock life is very important, socializing. Um, uh, race weekend is very important. We want to step up there in in this area. The new Carrera Cup for North America will have a class system. Explain that to me, please. We did um, our homework, so um, we uh, analysed all the other Carrera Cups because we, we want to be aligned uh, with the other markets so that it is really understandable what we are doing uh, and comparable what we are doing. So we, at the end of the day, um, we will have three different classes. So the pro class, the pro M class and the rookie class. 
in the pro class. We will launch the um, 992 uh, next year for the Carrera Cup. So everyone who is driving the newest model is automatically in, in the pro class. But we also have the pro M class. It's the former master class. So gentleman driver can drive the newest model, but also we are grandfathering the 991.2 car as well, just to bridge next year, making the, the Career Cup also available for, for guys who don't get uh, a 992 right in time. Pro M class is more for gentleman drivers. We have then uh, one champion for with the 992 and one champion for the 991. And the last but not least, we have the, the rookie class. Everyone who is under 23 is in this rookie class. And we are also establishing a Porsche Junior program. It's a former Porsche Young Driver Academy. Uh, Academy. We were very successful with this um, Porsche Young Driver Academy. And we are now transferring this into the Porsche Junior program. So. Together with the Career Cup North America, we will launch, establish the, the new Porsche Junior program. And everyone who signs up for the Career Cup and is below 23 is automatically joining this junior program. So we don't select everyone attends. The target for this program is just to educate these young drivers at the racetrack in classroom training so we have different modules um, defined and everyone gets a proper education during the entire season and at the end of the season we will nominate the best out of this junior program and he gets a shootout in in, uh, in in europe plenty to get excited about including the prospect of the new 992 body shape how many mm. can we expect in carrera cup north america we have, in, in general, next year, 10 Career Cups worldwide. Right now, for next year, it's quite limited um, for, for the start of the season. We will get, for sure, 15 cars, and probably we get additional five cars. So um, probably we will see um, 20 cars, and then also uh, the grandfathered uh, 991.2 cars. If I had to ask you now to answer, what are you most excited about, about this new Porsche Carrera Cup North America with Michelin, what would you say? Oh, it's the combination because everything is new. A new tyre partner, a new platform, new responsibilities for um, P&A and a new um, Porsche Junior program. So everything is new and we are really excited um, setting everything up. We used the lockdown time and we worked pretty hard to bring all these moving parts together into a nice larger picture so that every, everything is working quite smoothly together and we hopefully can provide a very good experience um, at the track and also in the paddock. Well, there's plenty of things that's new. I suspect that one thing that won't change is the excitement, the drama, the entertainment and the competition. Dr. Ambrister, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for, so much for, for all your questions and also the interest in, in our Career Cup North America. Thank you so much.